Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Shmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zyron. Joined, as always, by a man who sticks the knife in my back like he's Mark Jackson in the broadcasting booth, angling for the Cleveland Cavaliers job, Dan Baker, DB. Be a pastor, man. Preach like Mark Jackson. I don't think anyone wants to play for the Cavs right now, Dave. No, that's a very, very good point. In fact, no team has been under 500 at this point in the season and gone on to win the title, which mm-hmm. makes the prediction of the next person that the Cavs win all this year look very weak. It's the coach coming out. How you doing, coach? If you recall, I picked the Hornets, but that's another story. Well, that was just bizarre. <laughs> I mean, the, the general consensus was that you had either taken a lot of peyote or that you had actually suffered a severe blow to the head, so we were all worried no. about you. Yeah, actually, it was, it was my attempt to show how weak the East is and anybody can come out of there. That's what I was trying ah, to so say, it but it, it fell miserably. But here's another thing I want to talk They're to you about. They're still in the sixth feed right now. They're still in position See? for the sixth exactly. seed. Exactly. My pick's alive. Mm, it's alive, <laughs> I mean, all right. Where, where's the Cavaliers? Fifth? <laughs> and actually, um... Six. Okay. Yeah, so two teams are six, the quarter right, So stand. my pick says as live as yours. Who took the, you took the Cavs. And actually, who, guess who the player of the week was in the Eastern Conference this past week? Uh, who was? My guard from Connecticut. Campbell Walker. Yeah, Campbell so Walker. I told you. Okay, yeah, see? Yeah, that's yeah. something there. Yeah, All right, yeah. talk to me, man. Talk to me. Dave, the little fracas between Garnett and Dwight Howard. The headbutt. Yeah, that was not. You know, look, I've seen you wrestle with the with the people down in the down in the grocery line. So I mean, that was that that was not a fight. No, it Garnett, wasn't much. Garnett threw the ball a chest pass. If you're mad at somebody, you don't throw a chest pass to him. You give him the fast, fast one upside the head, well, and then Howard turns around and throws a you know a punch to a light, open handed punch to the stomach. What was that? It reveals two things. One, it reveals how little respect the older generation of players have for Dwight Howard, because Kevin Garnett, remember, he was picked a year um, ahead of Kobe. Him and Kobe. And Tim Duncan and Andre Miller are the four oldest players in the NBA right now. They're all 38 years old. I didn't know that. And yeah, and so there, there's just not a lot of respect for Dwight Howard whatsoever. That's how I took. I took it as Kevin Garnett was like, "You're not even worth a real headbutt. You're not even <laughs> worth a real pass." That's how I saw it. But that's neither here nor there. We got a hell of a show this week. Uh, we got so much to talk about that I can't even tell you about it before the break. But I can say we're going to be talking to, to satirist Michael Ferraro, terrific humor writer, Good. comedy gold. We'll be back right after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio as we are about to enter Dr. Martin Luther King 
weekend. Coach, out of curiosity. Yes, sir. You, as a man who uh, grew up during the time when Dr. King was alive and part of this planet Earth, mm-hmm. and not someone who had been written. No, I'm serious. Like, he's become so iconized in so many respects. No, I thought you take taking a shot at me, but that's No, okay. no, no. I think that's one of the great things about the movie Selma, which, other than a Best Picture nod, was snubbed at the Academy Awards this year, uh, which actually led to a brilliant hashtag called Oscars So White. And there are just a lot of jokes. I threw in a couple myself. Mm-hmm. Oscar's so white, they're being hosted by Megyn Kelly, mm-hmm. you know, from Fox News. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of funny. I Maybe not. You. Oscar's so white. Uh, Exodus didn't get any nominees because it wasn't diverse enough. Mm. Remember, because Exodus was the movie. It's about the Middle East, and they hired like Christian Bale and white actors to play the lead. Okay, so moving on from there. But look at some of the other jokes because they were actually quite funny. But. <laughs> Throwing it to you, Coach, mm-hmm. asking you, like, do you do anything special or significant for King Weekend? What do you, you know, do? What does it mean to you? Interesting What question. do you do to make it actually mean something other than a day off? Absolutely. You know what, Dave? That's, I'm glad you asked that because I, I do. I love Martin, Martin Luther King. Uh, love is the strongest emotion out there. So that's where that is. I can't say any more than that. But one thing I do, I, every year there was a documentary on PBS that called Eye on the Prize. Eyes on the Prize, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And I try to watch that. Um, it's one of the great documentaries yes, ever made. Yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. We and, own multiple copies of it in my house because my, my partner, you know, as you know, she's a teacher. Yes. She uses it um, as a, uh, with, to teach every year. Yes, yes, yes. And and I always just watch that because it's riveting. And it talks about King. And it goes through a lot of other places in times of our, of our history here in America. But, you know, a heavy segment is, is toward the Dr. Dr. King. And I always find fascinating. Always learn, you know, just like watching a rerun of whatever you watch, your favorite shows. You always pick up sure. additional stuff. But, and, and let me stay there. One of the things I do remember in one of the segments, King had left um, the South. Right. Uh, to try to take the Selma. movement to the north. Right. And he went to Chicago. Chicago. The yes. suburbs of Chicago to march for housing. And he said he had never accounted, he, he never accounted hatred like he, uh, like like he, he did, did in Chicago. In Chicago when he was in Chicago. And he had got hit by a bottle, a brick, yep. a rock. Mm-hmm. And he was bleeding. And the white reporter went up to him. And the guy was, King was not a tall guy. You know? No. And. This reporter was bigger, so he was looking down on Dr. King, which has his own symbolism of the time, and asking him, my interpretation, if I'm hard line, with a little smirk on his face, what, Dr. King? And he asked a question. He says, hey, Dr. King, um, what are you going to do now? Because he's bleeding, and, 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 and the march didn't go with the flow he anticipated. And Dr. King just looked up with a peace and a contentment. I can never forget it. And he says, like, what's wrong with you, cat? And then that's my interpretation of the look he was giving him. And he just said, got to keep on marching. Mm. You see, that's I actually know people who were at that march in Chicago, mm-hmm. and they've told me stories about having the bottles thrown at them and mm-hmm. the rocks and whatnot. And, of course, what King was doing was so dangerous and so daring because in the South you had legal segregation. You had the Jim Crow laws, laws that could be overturned. In the North, you're fighting against something much more intractable. That's economic mm-hmm. segregation. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. taking on the the philosophies and rules and longstanding practices of banks, mm-hmm. of power, of neighborhoods, and of prejudice in neighborhoods 
that did not want people of color moving in, black or brown, moving into their space. Mm. And in Chicago, you really are talking about a ground zero of white ethnic enclaves, Polish, Mm. Greek, Italian, Russian, and attempting to end the economic segregation that kept black families out of those neighborhoods. Mm. It was an incredibly daring act, Mm. and one that still has not been accomplished in many cities across the United States. But I'll tell you why why I even brought up Dr. King in the first place, seeing as this is a sports show, Mm -hmm. is because it it really is fascinating to look at how Dr. King weighed in on uh, some of the political questions that define sports in his time. Mm. Because a lot of people, a lot of very smart people, a lot of people we respect greatly, did not have good positions on things today. Like when we look back, it does not look good. And let me specifically talk about uh, three questions in particular. Go. Do it. The first is Jackie Robinson in the 1950s mm-hmm. became very outspoken for civil rights. A lot of people in the civil rights movement said that he might do better just to shut up and be a quiet symbol. Mm-hmm. And that he would do better for the movement if he kept his mouth shut. That's one thing. Second thing, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali uh, was connected to, of course, the Nation of Islam, which was very critical of Dr. King and very critical of the goal of an integrated society. And But Muhammad Ali also was an outspoken opponent against racism and the war in Vietnam. Many people in the civil rights movement spoke out against Muhammad Ali. Uh, Roy Wilkins, one of King's mm-hmm. most trusted advisors, yes, said that Muhammad Ali is no better than, I believe his exact phrasing was, the guys in sheets in the white citizens' councils because he he wasn't pushing for integration. Is that? I, oh, I, yeah. I, I, a lot of go. people. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Like the language they use. Like they're just the black KKK. Things like that were said by people around King. The third was the push to boycott the 1968 Olympics by Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Lee Evans, Dr. Mm -hmm. Harry Edwards, the Olympic Mm -hmm. Project for Human Rights. A lot of people connected with the civil rights community did not like the idea of bringing the boycott to the Olympic stage for the very simple reason that they said it it would be embarrassing to the United States. And it was sort of like putting out your dirty laundry into the public sphere, and that's not where the dirty laundry should go. This mm-hmm. is a U.S. problem. You don't want to give, whether, you know, the communists, or you don't want to give people, enemies of the United States any ammunition that says the U.S. is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like Baird Rustin, very against the idea of an Olympic boycott. Baird Rustin, the chief architect of the March on Washington. Mm-hmm. Now you go back and you look at what Dr. King's position was at these three pivotal moments. He was a resolute defender of Jackie Robinson to be as loud as he wanted. He called Jackie Robinson a sit-inner before sit-ins, a freedom rider before freedom rides, and someone who's earned the right to say whatever he pleases, even if what he says is not necessarily pleasing to the movement or anybody else. Mm -hmm. On Muhammad Ali, Dr. King was absolutely forthright in his defense of Muhammad Ali to not only be part of any organization that he wanted, but particularly in his stance against the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. which is something that many people in the civil rights community didn't want King to take a stance on the Vietnam War. Understood. Let alone take a stance on whether Muhammad Ali should say anything about it. And then 1968, Dr. King, as I learned from working with John Carlos, was actually someone who helped advise Harry Edwards and others on the Olympic boycott. 
uh, didn't want to be front and center with it because he knew that that would bring its own baggage, especially given that he had come out against the war in Vietnam. But he was there for everybody. And when asked about it publicly, he stated publicly that he supported the Olympic boycott Mm -hmm. and called it an act of nonviolent resistance Mm -hmm. in the tradition of the Montgomery bus boycott and the civil rights struggles. Mm -hmm. So that to me is how you judge. It's always easier in the future to go back and say, oh, I can't believe Roy Wilkins said that because now we have the benefit of history and hindsight and all the rest of it. It's what you say, though, in the moment that you get the clearest picture of a person. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like it's so easy for sports casters today for example, to praise John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Yet they slam athletes today for wearing Black Lives Matter or I Can't Breathe on their shirts. And you know (laughs) that if they'd been alive in the 1960s, they would have slammed Muhammad Ali for being political. They would have slammed Tommy Smith and John Carlos. You know this. Straight up above the board. (laughs) They would be crushing them. And yet they have the benefit of hindsight and they frankly exploit the work of the people in the media who did have the courage to stand up for them. Mm -hmm. And they exploit the memories of those who sacrificed in the past uh, so they could have a platform to stand on in the present. But that's what I remember about Dr. King in the sports realm. Yes. That he was never scared to speak out about the ways in which sports could help the movement. Hey, we got to go to break. powerful, brother. Hey, you're powerful. <laughs> we'll be back right after this, and wait till you hear what we talk about next. One, one, two, two, Don't one, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Talking to the coach, Kevin McNutt, Martin Luther King Jr. show, doing well, be, feeling very good about being here with you guys today. Yes, now, I've got something I'd like to discuss if I could. Uh, time out, time out, time out. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Oh, dear God. Do you hear that music? Oh, my God. That's Kevin McNutt's music. That's right. And what that means <laughs> you is. You know what that means. That's right. DC knows. And we're catching, and folks, we're catching Dave off guard on this. What? But we are going to do right now in this segment the first edition of the 2015 Zyron Zingers. Dave didn't even know this was coming. Right, right, Horrible. right, right, Name DC. For a second. So, Zyron Zingers. Yeah, you know, hey, two Z's. You know what I'm saying? Laughing. I'm going to ask. Dave, <laughs> what I'm going to ask you, Dave. The way we do it when you're on vacation and we have the show. Ah, vacation. I got, I got, I got a list of questions here. Oh, the rustling of the paper. <laughs> and you, I'm just going to throw it out. You don't know what we what we're talking about, and we just want to hear your commentary. Question number one. Todd oh Bowles, a black man. I don't know man, any of this. What are you going to – all right, Todd Bowles. Was hired by the Jets to be the head coach. After being shut out last year, I'm talking about black coaches, with what, 27 head coaching openings and with 36 head coach, head coach openings this year. Other than Lovey Smith. Yes. Filled with mostly reruns of past show cats like Del Rio and Ryan. Is the hiring of Bowles proof that the Rooney, Rooney rule works? No. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Not even the tiniest possible bit. And it's because Todd Bowles is somebody who was pursued by everybody. He could have had his pick of jobs. And actually, a lot of people are surprised he didn't wait 
one more day to interview with the Atlanta Falcons because mm. they wanted to talk to him. And the Atlanta Falcons are considered by far the most plum job given the fact that the one thing that anybody needs to succeed in the NFL is, of course, a quarterback. Mm. And you technically have one with Matt Ryan. They're, they're doubters on Ryan, but I still think the Falcons' job is the best job. Better but than San Francisco, Dave? Just, just Given the competition of the division for San Francisco. Okay. I would honestly be shocked if the Rams don't find a real quarterback and take a leap next year. Mm-hmm. Seattle will still be good, and Arizona ideally will have Carson Palmer back mm-hmm. and be a real team again. But what Todd Bowles did with that defense, I mean, that defense willed them to victory yes, when sir. Palmer went out. And so, no, I think the Rooney rule is still something that is extremely flawed. I think that the the practices by many teams flout the Rooney rule dramatically, particularly the Washington football team here, which flouted the Rooney rule in, in its hiring of a new general manager. And it's so interesting, too, because the Washington's new general manager is someone who has a history of alcoholism. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's getting another chance. Obviously, I think many people listening to the show might have been touched by alcoholism in their families or maybe yourself. But it, it does raise the question, would someone who is an open recovering alcoholic who is also black have been hired so quickly. It's not even a question. It's not on. a question. It's 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 a rhetorical. <laughs> right. It's one of those things where you say to ask the question is to answer it. Right. So right. once again, Dan Snyder standing in the proud tradition of George Preston Marshall, <laughs> the original owner of this team. The thing about Todd Bowles is he could be, you know, the reincarnation of Vince Lombardi. If the Jets don't figure out the situation at quarterback, right. it's going to be a very very uh, difficult tenure. Question number two. Robert Mueller's investigation into the NFL's handling of the Ray Rice situation was released last week. Yes, it was. To no one's surprise, Goodell was blameless and slapped on the wrist for having an image problem. What say you? Robert Mueller is a fraud. Uh, This investigation (laughs) was a fraud. Uh, Robert Mueller works for a law firm that negotiated the NFL's deal with DirecTV. Uh, that deal with DirecTV netted the NFL an extra unexpected $100 million oh, after goodness. the Ray Rice scandal broke. And Mueller really? was, yeah, unexpected extra $100 million from DirecTV to the National Football League. And you think about that, that's like a, a, a basically a $3.5 million check in the pocket of every NFL owner. In other words, it was a signal that we want to keep making you rich at DirecTV and therefore don't rock the boat. Mm. Keep Goodell in there so we can keep making that money. And then they get Robert Mueller from this law firm to be able to head up this investigation, which technically was being overseen by the Mara and Rooney families, Goodell's two uh, greatest supporters inside the ranks of ownership. It was a sham of a travesty of a mockery (laughs) of a sham. Ridiculous stuff at work. And I don't know, unless you're Chris Christie, who, as we all know, appointed his own commission that cleared him of Bridgegate. I don't see why anybody would think that this is fair. And let's remember the ultimate conclusion of Mueller's report, which has some language that's critical of Goodell, is that he just wasn't powerful enough to do Mm. what needed to be done. Now, anybody, I mean, think about Roger Goodell for one second and think about Roger Goodell with more power. Is this really what ails the National Football League, (laughs) that there are too many checks and balances aimed against Roger Goodell? It is to laugh. Question number three, your main man, Peyton Manning. Apparently, we know you don't dig him, 
apparently was playing with a torn or strained quad injury. So what? Which was news to his teammates in the NFL. Follow me here on this one. Which listed him on a weekly injury report with a thigh bruise. Now, his teammates are calling him super tough because he endured. But look, if this was New England and they had been this secretive and coy and played with the injury report, they would be rep- reprimanded or fined. My question to you, do you see a double standard here with the goody two-shoes Peyton Manning getting a pass and Denver too? You know, it's interesting because I think what, we, what we've learned this week with the firing of John Fox is that the only thing you can give Denver, I think, a lot of credit for is that unlike San Francisco, they kept their civil war in-house and very quiet. I mean, this is something that nobody, save maybe Jay Glazer from Fox Sports, who threw out a couple of tantalizing hints, nobody really knew this. But it seems that the situation inside San Francisco, inside, I'm sorry, uh, Denver, was as dysfunctional as anything that was happening in San Francisco or in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's just they kept it under wraps because they thought maybe, just maybe, Peyton and people like Demarcus Ware and Von Miller, maybe these and Demarius Thomas and Julius Thomas, maybe these guys are high impact enough to drag the Broncos to the back to the Super Bowl. And that's what it's all about. And then once that didn't happen, it all became very clear immediately that the entire organization was dysfunctional. Now you asked about the torn calf, and that's that's the yeah, that's mean, the, the most important thing. Look, I mean Every look, Tony Romo broken back, right. Aaron Rodgers one leg. I mean, anybody who saw that game saw what I think a lot of us saw. That's that Peyton Manning lacks the arm strength to throw right. a ball downfield. Right. He right. still has the ability to throw short timing patterns, but if you as a defense choose to take that away, mm-hmm. like the Colts did, mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was bad. It was like all, it was a. I mean, I'm not just saying yeah. this, and I think Dan will agree with me. Yeah. It was a step above Ryan Lindley. Yeah, I mean, they were daring him to throw the ball. That was it. Last question on the NFL before we move to. NBA, do you uh, Des Ryan catch non catch? Everybody's talked about that. The worst cost is a tuck rule. Dave, the big picture question here: How does the NFL, from a PR standpoint, always keep shooting itself in the foot? How does it? (laughs) Because like 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 most massive big businesses, they are very isolated. And they tend to come up with rules and regulations as checks against their own isolation. But all that serves to do then is find them in these embarrassing moments where you have this bureaucracy that's then created where mm-hmm. everybody is scared to look like they're, they're you know, making a mistake and they have to protect their own ass and mm-hmm. it's a CYA culture. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with rule after rule after rule and eventually it bites you in the foot like in this case. Look, I want to go very much on record. I hate – the conventional wisdom that's coming out about this catch. And I'm saying this as a Cowboys hater. We might not get to the NBA because I got some stuff to say about this. (laughs) I say this as somebody who finds the Cowboys obnoxious. I find Jerry Jones to be repellent. I found the whole Chris Christie is our mojo thing, something that wanted me to stick my head in the toilet. And I find the whole Jerry Jones grotesque boss hog stadium uh, the sort of thing that symbolizes everything I despise about sports. Um, And I love the Packers. I love them as an organization. I love how they operate. I love Aaron Rodgers. I wanted them to advance. So keep in mind, I'm saying all of that before I say this. Go Dave. I hate Go Dave. the conventional wisdom, which is, well, by the letter of the rule book, it's not a catch. 
just like oh. Calvin Johnson. Yes. But it should have been a catch. Yes. I hate that. Yes. You know I why? Agreed. I'm because a it was a catch. It. Yes. It was a catch. And it was a football play when you catch the ball and 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 take three steps. Exactly. What, how's that not a football play? But anyway, go Dave. Go. I mean, this is. <laughs> let me tell you why it was a catch. It was a catch because. He was consciously reaching forward with the ball to put it over the end zone. So if he had just come down with it and not made the extra effort, right. it would have been a catch. Right. He was penalized for making the extra effort right. to get it over the goal line. And that actually makes it different than the Calvin Johnson play, which is Calvin Johnson comes down with it and then just – he. I mean, I, I didn't think Calvin Johnson's was a catch. As much as it looked like a catch, he left it on the ground right. and got up. Right. And I thought it was it was an outrage, and I do think this. I forget who said this, but the Des Bryant play should have been the one hundred and one drunks rule, which is if you show a play to one hundred and one drunk people, oh, yeah, that, what do they say? Uh, is it a catch or not a catch? <laughs> and one hundred and one drunk people would all say that was a catch. Right. And frankly, that should be enough. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try to sleep. We're getting short on time. The Spurs were at the White House. This week to celebrate the championship with the press. Long on this segment. Let's do it. <laughs> the the Spurs championship team had nine international and foreign players on the roster. Kobe Bryant added the week before that the American players lack fundamentals, and that is a problem. That's why the international players and the Spurs were so successful. What say you, Mr. It's, um, it's absolutely idiotic statement by Kobe Bryant. And let's let's forego the irony for one second that it's being said by Kobe Bryant, who embodies in many respects some of the worst aspects of the stereotype of AAU. Mm. Like this idea of being a bad teammate, of taking too many shots, of not play, playing in the flow of the game. I mean, it's almost like if you believe that one of the problems with AAU is about players trying to emulate uh, the superstars of the league, well then Kobe Bryant actually has to shoulder his share of the blame for the quality of AAU. That's the first thing. Six the, of 24, Dave. Six of six 24. Six of 24. He's going back to those NBA finals. By the, by the way, thing, by the way, by the way, I'm just throwing yes. this in. I refed Kobe Bryant playing AAU. How'd he play? Tell he us. He was fantastic. <laughs> Did he pass? Uh, he didn't have to because, but, but, but he, what he was, he was so intense. I mean, God, I couldn't mm-hmm. believe for an AAU game. And I didn't know who he was at the time. And then he said, and I went, you know what I mean, and, and I'm roughly, he did some things that he was special. You could see he was a one-and-done cat if he wanted to go that way. But anyway, back to you. No, 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 That that's that's actually very interesting to hear. I mean, it's interesting, though, because you said he didn't have to pass, but it's very interesting. Like, you read about LeBron's days playing at that yes. AAU level, yeah. and he would talk about going out of his way to get players who were really bad layups. Mm-hmm. And yes. that there was the goal was always yeah. you read that yep. about how to get yep. these guys in position to score even right. if they couldn't play and that's how he would perceive the game how do right. I get my worst shooters right. in the position to contribute because he knew they'd play better defense and they would frankly just he he saw himself as being a better teammate the other thing that's just such a joke two things mm-hmm. about go, go, the Kobe go, comments go, 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 first go, of all go. if you actually look at the numbers I wish I had them in front of me if I'd known you were asking I would have had them but like the people who on all NBA teams the people. At the top of the sport, on every conceivable category, I mean, it's it's dominated by players born in the United States. Absolutely. Dominated. Yep. If you look at the number, and, and even players who, like, are international who are on some of those lists, one of the only ones who's in, like, the top 20 right now in major categories um, is Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol went to high school in, in Memphis. Mm. I mean, so it's like mm. even that strains credulity, calling mm. and on calling some of these guys uh, as if they're foreign players. I mean, Marc Gasol is in Memphis. He's probably the best player not born in the United States in the NBA right now, mm. arguably, is Marc Gasol. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the first thing 
about it. The second thing is if you look at how the United States has done in international competition since 2002, uh, I mean, they have dominated mm-hmm. international competition. Mm-hmm. So how can you possibly say that the U.S. is producing an inferior product? God, I sound like we're going to play the Star Spangled <laughs> Banner here for a second. But but the last thing I would say about it, which I think is, is really important, is you got to keep in mind the international players who come to the NBA, that's the world. Yes. That's the pick yes. of the world. Yes. Which is a larger larger pool than the pick of the United States. Right, 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 so right. come on, Kobe. Yeah, yeah. Come well, on, Kobe. Can... <laughs> Let's go to break. We'll be back after this with Michael Ferraro. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? My man. Man, we are about to be joined right now by someone who was once paid to come up with nicknames for Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal, who collaborated on motivational speeches with Hall of Famer Michael Irvin. And who, as he says in his bio, has also had many other much crappier jobs. He's been published in a ton of places. Uh, people should look him up online. He's a lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan. He's, had, he's a Clippers season ticket holder, mm-hmm. which means he's got to be feeling at least a little bit better, mm-hmm. especially compared to some of the history with the Eagles. Uh, yeah, yeah. But we, and he's the author of a book called Circus Catch, which is a fantastic satirical look at professional football. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. So glad he's here. His name is Michael X Ferraro. Michael, how you doing, sir? Very well, Dave. Honor and a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. So before we talk about anything else, tell our listeners the story of Circus Catch. Circus Catch takes a bombastic, self-promoting, provocateur, superstar wide receiver. I, I liken him to T.O. times Ocho Cinco divided by Andre's 3,000. He was born Brevard Jackson, but now he goes by BWAC. And this guy's had clashes with the commissioner, and he's sort of bounced around the league. And uh, what happens is he's sort of maybe at his last stop, and it's Cleveland. It's a parallel universe, so he plays in the the RFC, the Real Football Corporation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he makes... Uh, an incredible Hail Mary uh, tip drill catch in the end zone to to knock off Pittsburgh and probably send Cleveland to the playoffs. But what happens is uh, he's at the bottom of a pile on the the tip drill, and he knows in his heart that the ball scraped the carpet before he got his hands around it. And this guy who's a self-promoter and thought of by many as a clown and he's social media out there, he, for some reason, a court strikes in him, and and he tells the ref, I didn't get to the ball in time. And the referee thinks it's concussion protocol, and, and you know, they don't take the <laughs> touchdown off the board. <laughs> so it does have some resonance. I mean, it is supposed to be comedic. As, uh, you know, when I reached out to you, Dave, about the book, I kind of let you know I, was trying, I, I tried to write the Dr. Strangelove or the network, you know, mm-hmm. set in pro football today. So basically, BWAC takes it into his own magnificent hands to, to set justice right, um, and he sort of kind of sabotages the game in a way and as you said you know breaks cleveland's heart but sets the the, the sports world as you always call it sports world with a capital w sets the sports world ablaze and kind of strikes at the core of what what we stand for in america really mm-hmm. it's, it's supposed to be that big and that funny and that loud i wanted to ask you this as i was reading the book i mean it succeeds as a satire of football but i kept thinking to myself god how did michael x ferraro even construct this given how satirical the regular football world is 
Like, what was your starting point? I mean, given how outrageous the NFL is with its myriad of scandals and incompetence, what was your starting point in terms of saying, okay, how do I turn this into satire? Right. That's, yeah, it's kind of like Mel Brooks. Like, how did he do space balls when the staff was exactly. crazy already? Uh, yeah, well, uh, as you know, the, the finished product of the book has a lot of um, resonance and a lot of parallels to, to today's world. Um, and, you know, our, our beloved NFL commissioner. Um, but I, I started the book about eight or nine years ago, Dave, so a lot of this stuff was sort of satirical gifts to me as I was, as I was honing the book, you know. But, but it all came from a, a core question of, and I know, you know, here at, at Edge of Sports, when you, you know, it's the intersection of sports and politics, and we're talking about, you know, players that are being activists and things like that, I, which is awesome. And, you know, um, athletes need to ha- have their voice heard it occurred to me and it's always occurred to me i've played and i've coached what if a player really stood up when it counted and admitted that uh, he got the benefit of a good call and he didn't want to win on those terms like mm. that's that's the very kernel of of the book and you mentioned you know i worked for michael Irvin. i told michael the, the, the premise of this book when i was working with him on fourth and long and he just looked at me like <laughs> like I was crazy. Like you're saying, the receiver says he didn't catch a touchdown pass. Never happened. And, well, hold and on. People... What's in, I know the book is satire, but uh, my, my friend here who does the show with me, Coach Kevin McNutt. We call him Coach, but in reality, he's been a referee for God knows how long, 70, 80 years. So, <laughs> so let me ask you this, Coach. Hey, coach. Uh-huh. If you had a player say something, I know it's basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, say you call it the winning three-pointer, you're like, that's the game, we're going. There's obviously no replay at the level where you ref. Mm-hmm. And a kid came to you and said, no, my foot was out of bounds. Mm-hmm. What do you do as a ref? Do you say, I don't see it, the points stand? Or do you say, wow, that's very brave, young man, take the points off the board? What would you say? Never happened, but I would, I would, I would have to go with what, what I did or what my partner did. I mean, you know what I mean. What we call stands. Uh, um, uh, thank, thank you, young man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what we saw is you know, we're paid to do it, and this is this is the call. Yeah. What yeah. we saw is what is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do you believe you, me, or your lion eyes? Right. Sorry. Go ahead, Mike. What'd you say? I'm I'm sorry, Coach. I was gonna say, what if everybody in the building saw? What if you just had happened to have a bad angle, and he knew his foot was on the on the back line, and you just didn't have that angle, and like. You know, his coach saw it. Right, right. You know what? Because it happens a lot where my partner might make a call that I say, oh, my, that was clearly a blocked charge. And I wouldn't call it that way. But it's all about angles and it's all about trusting your teammates. Just like We're a team just like the players on the field are a team. So if we didn't see it, that's why we have a black and white on, and that's why we get a paycheck at the end of the game. So if we get it wrong, we get it wrong. We just eat. We get broiled in oil, but – what so you're say? saying that, I mean, and in a weird way, Michael, you got to admit, that's in a weird way its own kind of courage. Because if you had the entire stands, the kid, and even the kid's coach say, we don't deserve to win, <laughs> and the ref is still like, no, I wear this black and white. I get the check. But I say is the truth. But, gentlemen, let's be clear. That has never happened in 30 years of refereeing. <laughs> now, the, ca- the crowd going crazy and saying you're a fool and yelling at you and throwing this, the, the, the soda at you, that's one thing because they're fans and they're idiots and they want to win but a coach and a kid coming to me and saying oh no clearly that was a wrong call it, was, it should be the basket should be disallowed as not happening i don't anticipate it happening hmm. well michael let me Absolutely. throw this at you i got i gotta ask what has been the reaction to circus catch i mean you've got connections with pro athletes less about what we're talking about and more just about 
the incredible over-the-top nature, and I don't want to give away too much because I want people to buy it, but it's it's hilarious, it's over-the-top, it's both fantastical reality and also at times just feels way too real. But what, what do the people say who are part of the business who've read it? Yeah, the, uh, I've been getting, uh, as far as that kind of stuff, yeah, getting beyond the ethics of the sports decision, which you're right, and coaches right, like that, it's, it just kind of never would happen. There, there's been a lot of uh, appreciation for where this is heading in terms of, I, I do a lot of satires. Like, basically, BWAC hires the first ever personal 24-7 sideline reporter. He has, like, a dedicated man that came out of, you know, the Newhouse School at Syracuse, because that's probably where he would come out of. And, uh, uh, you know, to give away the, the one joke, Dave, and it's, it's a little bit of a hot button, but, it, you know, it's, the joke is, is played by the character. His name is Jared Cohen, but he changes his name as BWAC changed his name. He changes his name to Dejuron Media, like LaShawn Jackson or Deshaun McCoy. But he's so Dejuron Media. He no, I, I almost I'm not joking around with you when I read that. I fell out of my chair and I don't mean that in the figurative sense. I mean, I was sitting and I was I was literally like he didn't. And I was with my buddy, uh, Zach, and I was like, yo, Zach, just read this paragraph. And Zach's reading it, and Zach says the name, and he goes, I don't get it. And I said, say it out loud. And he says it out loud like three times, and then he goes, oh, Juron Media. And then he just died. But I love jokes like that. He's like, wait, I don't get it. And then he just kept saying it and saying it. But I'm sorry. Go on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, and the the point of it not only is to have that joke and it's like a wink at that whole, you know, worldview that people have but as that you know bwack as i say he's not always right and and everybody i get trolled i wrote a piece called derek jeter was a big fat cheater in conjunction with this book <laughs> and, and it goes to the same point i got trolled by a lot of people that are like you don't know sports you've never played a sport because i i in 2010 against tampa bay in a crucial pennant race game jeter uh high in, inside tight pitch he spins away it hit the handle of the bat, but Jeter shakes his hand and gets sent to first base. And, and uh, gets, you know, Joe Madden got thrown out of the game because he saw it. And, you know, every, as, as, a, as an official coach, you know, you can, you can tell if you have the right angle that that's what happened. And Jeter, after the game, admitted to MLB.com. He said, yeah, it hit the bat, but that's my job. My job's to get on first base. Nah. And so I wrote a piece. Calling him a cheater, which, of course, I don't think Derek Jeter, you know, he certainly is a role model, but that goes back to the, the whole ethical, you know, dilemmas that sports present. And as you do, Dave, like, I want athletes to, to sort of lift us higher, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with social consciousness. But also, I, I think it's I'm certainly naive to expect somebody to, to, uh, to call, uh, you know, call that three-point shot on themselves if they were stepping on the line. But maybe we could start. I, I, I was telling this, um, I, I do, uh, you asked for sports media um, response, and, and, and that has been good. But I was telling the premise to a friend who's not a sports fan and he's European, and I told him the central premise, like thinking he'd be shocked by it. And he said, oh, yeah, a guy in the Bundesliga did that this year. Mm. And, and, and I looked it up online, and, and you can too. There's a player named Aaron Hunt who literally was awarded a penalty kick. You know, he was coming into the box, and there was a pass, and, and the, he converged with another player, and it looked like he got tripped. And it's on YouTube. I mean, it's got a 10, 20,000 hits, but, you know, if it was here, if Derek Jeter did that or if somebody did that, because the guy didn't trip him, and he, he went up to the ref and he said, he didn't trip me, and they took the penalty away. 
It's interesting. It'd be, it'd be you know what's the closest the trees, thing that it? we have to that, which exposes the hypocrisy about what we say we want our athletes to be, and then when they do it, we, we slam them for it if it's not aimed towards winning? To me, the closest mm-hmm. thing to that is when Vince Carter went to his graduation before Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, he better win, he better win. And then, of course, they (laughs) lost with him missing a shot at the buzzer. And then it was, oh, he's so selfish. When aren't we always saying we want them to care more about sports and care about education and all the rest of it? I don't know. That's just one that came to mind. Michael, we're actually up against a hard break. I'm going to put out on Twitter, Circus Catch. People got to read this thing. Michael, thank you so much for joining us in Edge of Sports. I hope we can do it again. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Coach. That's terrific. Thank Michael you. X. Ferraro, author of Circus Catch. I'm getting copies for you guys. Appreciate it's it. It's really funny. Yeah, I can dig it. Like, yeah. it knocked me out. Yeah. It was really funny. We got to go to break. We'll be back after this to wrap up the show. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Thank you so much, Coach, for riding shotgun this week on the show. My man. Um, I want to pay tribute to someone we lost this week. His name is Mike Marcusy, sports writer, wrote Redemption Song, Muhammad Ali in the Spirit of the 60s. Mm. And I'll tell you this honestly. Uh, I divide my life into not before and after I had kids or not before and after I moved out of my mom's house but before and after I read this book. Mm. Seriously, this is the book that made me a sports writer, Redemption Song, Muhammad Ali in the Spirit of the 60s, because I'd always loved sports before then. I'd always loved politics. I was fascinated by the intersection, but I'd never seen anybody pull it off in terms of writing. So that's what Mike Marcus, he gave to me. That was the gift he gave to me, mm. Redemption Song, Muhammad Ali and the Spirit of the 60s. And, man, I, it seems like just yesterday he wrote that book, but he didn't. He was... Uh, 45 years old, and he just passed away at the age of uh, 61 of blood cancer, and it was a long fight, and he will be missed. He also wrote about cricket. He wrote about Bob Dylan. Uh, He he was born and raised in the U.S., but lived his whole life in London, which is why a lot of folks might not have heard of him, but I will absolutely say that if you have the chance, if you have the opportunity, you should absolutely go out of your way to find this book, Mm -hmm. Redemption Song. Muhammad Ali in the spirit of the 60s. It changed my life. Mm. It changed my life. And I'm, you know, as recently as this past year, Mike reviewed uh, my book about Brazil and the World Cup, and I really appreciated that he did that. I was also really scared because the, the fear was that he wouldn't like it. And, you know, when your idol reviews something of yours, that's pretty scary. But he did like it, and he was always a good friend to me. Right. This, this really is touching because... You are, I call you an Aliologist of what you know about Muhammad Ali. So I, I can see how this shaped you oh. and moved you to who you are today. Oh, I mean, nobody he, knows more about Ali than you that well, I think. Well, anyway. that's that's very kind of you. But I got to say, my foundation for my Ali knowledge it comes from Mike Marcusy. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I knew the basics about Ali, and then I read Mike Marcusy's book. I went into the index of what he drew from. I read every book in that index, and then I read the indexes of the indexes. <laughs> so Mike Marcusy was my foundation. Yeah. In more ways than just Ali, he was my foundation. So rest in power, Mike Marcusy. Hey, for the coach, Kevin McNutt, for Dan Baker, I'm Dave Zirin. Follow us at Edge of Sports. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.